Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and we have Flora here. She is helping us today. <laughs> yes, yes, she is. And today we are eating some pancakes, chocolate chip pancakes, courtesy of Dad. Thank you. He lo- She loves it. Huh. Yeah, it's her favorite. We've decided. Yeah. And we're getting chocolate everywhere, so don't wear white next time. Or at least roll up sleeves or something because because we're getting it all over. Okay, we are going to be reading in Genesis chapter 37 to verse 41. And we have been watching the movie Joseph as a family. And remember, I was trying to find it and find it and find it, and we couldn't find it. And then we found it. So this movie was actually, Finn pointed out, was just uploaded February 25th this year. And so I guess I wasn't able to find it before because it wasn't available before. And we just barely were able to find it um, this past weekend. And it kind of worked out because everybody was sick. Well, the boys, Finn and Faust were sick and dad was sick. And so it was kind of like good that we had something to watch. And, but also, um, we didn't realize how many stories actually deal with hard things and with chastity. And so, um, anyway, so that's what we're going to be covering today. And hopefully we get to, um, hopefully we get to get to all of it today because we're now also behind again. <laughs> but Dad will get to hash out all the same stuff that we've been talking to the boys about because um, I want to make sure that we have it here. But also I may not cover it in depth because we did cover it in person, and so we'll see how I'm able to, you know talk about it this time and what's interesting is we watched the david bowman drawn in version of these scriptures and i love that he just simplified it he's like skips over the hard things just does the easy ones you know and it's it's okay because he's tailoring it's okay because he's tailoring to smaller children and it's not his job to teach um, children about chastity and things like that. That's the parents' job. They need to go there with their kids, have that, those awkward moments. Um, and it is hard because you wish that there were people out there teaching us this. But I do like how if you need help with fu- figuring out how to teach this, those things, um, check out the Don't Miss This. Um, they did a really good job of explaining... Um, the culture and the situation that they had here in the scripture. So I will make sure that I point it out at the right time so that you know like what I'm talking about. But don't miss this. And then, of course, talking scriptures, they always are super good at covering all the hard stuff because it's hard. And sometimes we need the words in order to, like as a parent, we need the words because we weren't given the words. And so we need the words to be able to say those words to our kids and kind of process it ourselves so that it makes sense to us, so that when we do share with our kids, it makes sense to them in their language, right? So, and it was so cute because Finn was like, I, I, I said, 
okay, and we're probably just gonna, it was for the story of Tamar, and I was like, I'll just have you guys listen to Don't Miss This, and Finn was so cute, he was like, mom, I don't want to listen to Don't Miss This, I want to listen to you, I'd rather hear it in your voice, and I was like, oh, great, (laughs) because it was so hard to try to explain it, because I didn't think I understood it. But then I was able to explain it to Finn and, and I think he understood it and even Faust understood it. And it was, it was awesome, uh, to be able to teach it and also a little uncomfortable. Sure. But it was great for them. Um, because I was able to show them those things and probably I missed some things and that's okay too, because I'm translating the information that I got into information that they can receive and that's hard oh what's going on what's going on you want to talk yeah you want to say something what were you saying no she's done with saying stuff okay so remember that as we're reading these uh accounts and these stories these experiences from other people they were living in a different time and they were under different covenants than we are in these latter days and so we need to be patient and um be kind of putting ourselves in their shoes and you know see things the way they see things um a little bit more and that just kind of also helps us with having compassion towards other human beings right and Dysfunction exists in all families, so don't think you're the only family that's dysfunctional. Okay, here we go. Okay, so a little summary is Israel, or Jacob, loves his son Joseph, the second youngest son and eldest son of Rachel, and gives him the coat. The other brothers envy Joseph and sell Joseph into slavery. Actually, it should say that they sold him into to their cousins, and then their cousins sold him into slavery. Um, Joseph, and I think it's important to know that there were, they had, that he had mean cousins. Joseph is taken to Egypt to Potiphar's home where Joseph righteously resists advances from Potiphar's wife. She was totes in a probes. Um, Joseph is put in a prison where he interprets dreams and is then asked to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Joseph is made a ruler in Egypt, um, and famine comes. So that's, those are the scriptures we're going to cover. Um, so here we go. Verses, uh, Jacob or (laughs) Genesis chapter 37. Jacob loves and favors Joseph, who is hated by his brothers. Joseph dreams that his parents and brothers make up obeisance to him. His brothers sell him into Egypt. Okay. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. I guess he kind of was a little bit of a tattletale. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, um, we're not really sure if he really loved him more but like um something that i was reading in the 
Scriptures Plus app said that it was probably more the fact that he was the most obedient son that he loved the Lord the most. And so maybe that's how, not necessarily that, that Jacob or that uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children, but because Joseph loved the Lord the most out of all his, of his children. And um, talking about the coat, it says, and, and maybe it's because he was the son of his wife that he loved the most. And that was obvious because he was, that's who he wanted to marry and who he wanted to work for. Right. And so, um, so the coat, some commentary here, it says the coat of many colors, the coat may have been of different colors, but its significance seems to have been far more than its brightness and beauty. One noted scholar suggested that it was a tunic reaching to the palms of the hands and soles of the feet, the long tunic with sleeves worn by young men and maidens of the better class. In the, cl- in the case of Joseph, to have been the badge of the birthright, which has been forfeited by Reuben and transferred to Joseph. And, you know, Reuben didn't make good choices. And then that's why he um, didn't get the birthright. And then... Um, and then I guess there was the first son of someone else. I can't remember. But then they didn't make good choices either with the whole destroying of the city of um, Shechem or Shechem uh, because of Dinah. Remember that? And so, or maybe we didn't remember that yet. Um, but anyway, Jacob gives Joseph this coat. And also while I was learning in the scriptures plus app and in other places, it says that this, uh, coat may have been handed down by, um, handed down through the priesthood lineage. And it was actually a coat that, that Adam had that he was given. And so, and when we talk about, um, things, it's usually like symbolic and stuff. And so, um, we remember that the Lord put a garment, put a coat on Adam and, and Eve. And so it's probably something along those lines is kind of what some scholars are thinking. Um, again, I'm not a scholar, so please go and research it more if you're really curious about that. Um, because again, I'm your mom and your mom does not like research this kind of stuff. And so it is cool and fascinating and I have a lot to learn, but currently that's not my status. I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a scholar or someone who has been researching this for years because this is the first time I'm reading the Bible for the second time through, but with more curiosity. So there you go. Um, I did read it in seminary, but let's be honest, I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't actually read it page by page or all the way through. And I just read like probably very sporadically. Um, but I did know some of the stories, uh, because luckily for me, they had movies. (laughs) So, okay. Um, and then verse four says, and when his brethren saw that their that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now also because he's the youngest at the time, like 
of course, you know, the, the dad's going to make it seem like he loves him more because he needs more attention. He needs, he needs more training. He needs more coaxing. He needs more, 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 you know, because he's so little. Um, compared to the older brothers, they're like adult guys. They're fine. They, they're great to be on their own. And of course they don't remember how their dad was with them when they were little. And so, um, it was probably cause they were having kids back to back to back. And so they didn't have a uh, opportunity to, um, really maybe enjoy that time. You know, people always tell me, Oh, it must be nice to have all your kids spread out because you could spend some time with them. And, you know, it is nice to have that because we didn't have like the crazy chaos of having like 20 kids back to back and, you know, everybody just kind of having a big mess and a big party. But um, so there is benefit to having kids spread out and it is nice. Like, but I bet right now if the boys were asked, who's, who's your mom's favorite kid? You guys would probably say Flora, but that's only because she requires so much more attention. And you don't realize that we gave the exact same attention to each one of you. Hey, thanks. Thanks. You want to open it? That's some paper. Oh, wow. I love this paper. Paper is my favorite. Do you like the smell of paper? I love the smell of paper. She's like, no, thanks. I don't want that paper. Okay, um, then we have a commentary here for one to four. It says, the come follow me schedule skips over Genesis 34 to 36. So um, there were, oh, I guess I should probably have read that. So we'll just in, inject it here because, insert it here because we don't want to have to back up. Um, so it says, here are a few things to note that happened during the time that the, those chapters cover. God renewed the Abrahamic covenant with Jacob and again told Jacob his name is changed to Israel. Rachel gave birth to a second son and named him Benjamin. Rachel died in childbirth. Imagine how this impacted Jacob's life. And then Jacob's eldest son, Reuben, sinned with Bilhah um, and Erastus Snow. Let's see. Explain that because of this, the birthright was taken from him and given to the son, sons of Joseph. Um meaning the birthright will go to Joseph and then his sons. Isaac then dies. Um, and yep, there we go. So, uh, which, was Isaac, uh, which was Jacob's father. Okay, so that, now we're at Genesis 1. Hey! Okay, she's helping me. Hi, are we just going to sit with mom? Sure. Okay, but you got to read scriptures with me, okay? All right. Okay, so the commentary for these four verses that we just read, it says, We can see and will see these chapters this week that Jacob's family was not perfect. <laughs> yeah. They lived in a wicked world and were impacted by the norms of their day and the wickedness and that surrounded them. However, this understanding highlights Joseph's character and his commitment to righteousness in that same world. By this chapter, the birthright had been given to Joseph, the 11th and 12th sons. Um, in verse 2, we learn that Joseph was 17 years old. Or sorry, the 11th of 12 sons. In verse 2, we learn that Joseph was 17 years old. It seems that his father often kept him home while his brothers were tending to the sheep. Joseph would then go to his brothers and come back and report to his father of his brother's doings. He was the messenger. But Joseph became a thorn in his brother's sides 
as he would tell his father what his brothers were up to. Well, I mean, that was kind of his dad's fault anyway for making him the messenger, right? Um, but he was trusted, so he knew that he, Joseph wouldn't lie. So, of course, that's why when people are trustworthy, they trust you with different jobs and responsibilities. Um, and it was, so then they say, and it was not always good, and it was not always good news. In addition, Joseph was the favored child. He was the firstborn of his beloved wife, Rachel, who had now died. In addition, Joseph had received the birthright and signified by the coat he had been given by Jacob. All of this together caused contention and jealousy among Joseph's brothers, even so much that they could not speak peaceably unto him. This, which is so sad because, you know, I, like, they're brothers, you know? You just wish that they would be getting along. But honestly, like, with the way that the family system is back then with the multiple wives and stuff, like, I could definitely see how this could get messy and people would be mean to each other and I mean I would probably be the first one that's being mean so I can't even say that they are being mean because I would probably be the mean one um and I don't I don't know if Rachel was mean to Leah but I definitely would have been so (laughs) That's just that's just mom speaking of previous experience of and or maybe I would have been mean secretly and not openly. I don't know. But, you know, that's just what I would have done. So so I can I can say that it would be hard to be in that situation. Okay, so then we see that Joseph is both greatly loved and deeply hated. The code of many colors has been interpreted in several ways. This is what the Old Testament seminary teacher manual explains. Um, and we already read that. So the gospel scholar, Donald Perry explained that Jewish tradition indicates that Joseph's garment was the high priestly garment of Adam. And you can find that in the Donald W. Perry temples of the ancient world, page six, six ninety five. And okay. So we're reading verse five and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more, <laughs> which Honestly, I can definitely say that that poor Joseph did not have tact. He was was not taught how to uh, share certain things and not share certain things, right? Because, like, I mean, I know that he was just innocent and trying to be, you know, trying to share, but it wasn't like he ne- he needed to share it, right? Like, these days we would know, like... Probably some revelations you keep to yourself. This was something La Abuelita would, would do and she would tell us and I'd be like, that's a little bit crazy. But some revelations and some dreams are to be kept to yourself, you know, and that's why um, I think that personal revelation is called personal revelation and not revelation that you can apply to everyone else because it the Lord just wanted it for you. And in certain special occasions, it is okay for us to share, but certainly not in a manner like where you would be telling somebody like, hey, you're going to be bowing down to me, you know, because um, that is not going to win, win you friends and influence people. So dream number one says, and he said unto them here, I pray you this dream, which I have dreamed for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. 
And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Dream number two. So I'm like, okay, so he got super positive results from sharing his first dream, right? Like, why would we want to share two dreams? But it's Joseph. He's just innocent. He doesn't know better. So he's just going to share, you know? I mean, listen, his mom died. He doesn't know who else to talk to about these things. And he thinks that his brothers are trustworthy, right? Um, and probably them being mean to him was like something that maybe they always did. And so he just thought, well, I guess brothers are just mean, you know? So maybe he was like, well, this is how brothers are. And so it says, number nine. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Okay, some info here, or some commentary. Joseph received some dreams that pointed to Joseph's future as a leader. He shared those dreams with his family, and those dreams only added to the resentment his brothers already had for him. These brothers were part of a great legacy. Their grandfather was Abraham, and they would have known his story, his great faith, and the Lord's promises for his family. And now Joseph had received the birthright and was receiving these dreams. Their anger may have been more than just exasperation for their younger brother, but a fear that it might be true. But perhaps or um, Jacob had received his own inspiration when he was young. Perhaps Joseph was receiving the same. And then note elder M. Russell Ballard used the examples of these brothers being jealous of their younger brother to highlight the extraordinary character of Hiram Smith, who faithfully honored and supported his younger brother, Joseph Smith. Okay, we're putting the floor down for a nap. So Elder Ballard said, according to Lucy Mack Smith, when young Joseph first told the rest of the family about his experience in the sacred grove, Hiram and all the others received the message joyfully. The family sat in a circle, giving the most profound attention to a boy who had never read the Bible through in his life. In contrast to the reaction of Laman and Lemuel to their younger brother Nephi's divine calling and to the jealousy of the older brothers of Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, there was no jealousy or animosity in Hiram Smith. Instead, real faith was born in him of the simple and joyful response he felt to the spiritual truth of his brother's message. The Lord let him know in his heart what was right, and he followed Joseph faithfully for the rest of his life. Oh, that's so sweet. But in, and I'm just, I'm just speaking of brothers in defense of brothers uh, and their relationships. I don't know that Joseph Smith was the type of person that was like, hey, t like was a tattletale for his older brothers and stuff like that. I feel like their relationship was a little bit different. So, I mean, I love that Elder Ballard, you know, pointed this out but also um it's hard to say because we weren't there and we don't know for sure all the details we just know some of them right but yes Laman and Lemuel did not respond good <laughs> just did not respond well to Nephi and neither did Joseph's brothers 
So it's like, it's hard, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to judge. And anyway, so, but you can find that talk in October, 1995 general conference, which I do want to go listen to that because I like it when they're able to point out, um, different Bible stories and, and compare them to other scripture stories because it helps to, you know, make those stories come to life a little bit more too. Um, like, and be able to compare and contrast, like, why did, you know, Hiram receive the message better than the other brothers? Was it something to do with, um, the way the messages were delivered? Was it something to do with the the message itself? Was it something to do with, you know, um, previous past experiences with their brothers, things like that. So, um, and of course it also has a lot to do with the brothers and their attitude and stuff like that. So, but it's, it's more complicated than I think sometimes we seem to think, um, only because I see Finn and Faust as brothers and, obviously I can kind of see how you guys are with each other sometimes. And depending on the day, you guys are super nice to each other, right? And depending on the day, sometimes both of you are very mean to each other and I don't know what's going on. So it probably has a lot to do with that as well. Okay. Um, Genesis 37 verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their flock, their father's flock in, in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, do not Thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And a man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And he said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Okay, so Jacob went then again sent Joseph to check on his brothers who had the flocks in the sh- in Shechem. And Joseph obediently went and found his brothers in Dothan, which was a day's travel further north. Dothan was near a trade route that led to Egypt. And this change of location may have saved Joseph's life and also saved the future lives of thousands of Egyptians and many outside of Egypt, including Jacob's family and the very brothers who were plotting to kill Joseph. That's interesting, right? Okay, so come now, uh, or verse 20, come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, and this is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped, stripped Joseph out of his coat, and his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it.
I wonder if this was one of those wells that that was destroyed um, during like Abraham's time when I guess they got into some fights or something. I can't remember. Anyways, um, verse 25, and they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. So <laughs> Ishmael was um, Jacob's brother. And so a company of Ishmaelites was their cousins. Okay. And this was something dad pointed out. So I like that he pointed that out to me because that makes the story even more messed up. <laughs> we, we like seeing all the messed up parts because then it makes us feel like our family is not the only one that's messed up. Okay, verse 26, and Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. So I guess Reuben had, like, left or something. Um, so let me read some commentary there. So the brothers came up with a plan to kill Joseph and to slay a beast, or and say that a beast had killed him. But the older brother Reuben said to not kill him, but instead quickly came up with a different plan. The new plan was to throw Joseph into a pit, and then Reuben had the plan to return later and get Joseph out of the pit. The brothers agreed to this new plan, and when Joseph arrived, they stripped his coat off and threw him in the pit. After Joseph was put into the pit, the brothers sat down to eat, and apparently Reuben was not with them. The brothers were in Dothan, which was located along the road where caravans traveled to Egypt to trade their goods. The brothers were sitting by this road when some Ishmaelites rode by carrying spices, bombs, um, and all those things, to ch and taking it to trade to Egypt. This gave Judah a great new idea. Perhaps they should not let Joseph die, but could instead sell him as a slave. The other brothers agreed and then sold Joseph to another group of merchants passing by who were Midianites. Joseph was then sold for 20 pieces of silver, which was the average price of male slave under 20 years old. This is what Orson Hyde had to say of this moment. The fire of jealousy burning in the hearts of the elder brethren against their younger brother, they resolved to slay him and conspired to perpetrate this bloody deed. Not that Joseph had injured them or done them any wrong. It was because they feared he would do something as his dreams and evidenced showing showed in a clear manner. But behold, the inconsistency of his elder brethren, if his dreams were of God, it was a sufficient cause of great joy to them that they could have a ruler of divine appointment and hence worse than madness to oppose him. If his dreams were not of God, they had no cause to fear his elevation to the ruling power. But his dreams were of God, and the means which they adopted to prevent their fulfillment proved under the uh, overruling hand of providence to be the very means to bring about the things foreshadowed by them. It is not infrequently 
the case that plans and measures devised by the greatest cunning ingenuity and wisdom of the wicked against God's chosen prove to be the most impressive and happy means to bless and exalt those against whom these plans are laid instead of slaving their brother they agreed to cast him into a pit where there was no water that he might perish there but being a little conscience smitten at this specimen of cruelty towards their brother they agreed to sell him into egypt as a slave and thus rid themselves and the country of this troublesome dreamer but god was with joseph and that's from orson Hyde journal discourses um then okay so we're on verse 30 and and remember reuben returned and he returned unto his brethren and said the child is not and i whither shall i go and they took joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the goat in the blood and they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said this have we found know now whether it be thy son's coat or no and he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. The evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave in, unto my son mourning. Thus, this, thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Okay, uh, last commentary. Reuben returned to the pit and found that Joseph was not there. His plan to get him out had failed, and it will be many years before he will realize that God's plan to deliver Joseph was far better than Reuben's. Now the brothers had to return home, and they came up with a plan to lie to their dad. They took the blood of the goat and put it on Joseph's coat and told their father that they found the goat, or that they found the coat. This would be a convincing story because Joseph had been sent to check on his brothers. They could just act like they never saw Joseph and found his coat somewhere along the path. Notice Jacob's reaction when the coat was taken to him, and he knew it and said, It is my son's coat, and an evil beast hath devoured him. Um, why would Jacob come to the conclusion that Joseph had been attacked by a beast? Verse 31 only mentions the coat being dipped in blood. Interestingly, the account of in the Book of Mormon gives us more information. In Alma chapter 46, when Moroni was raising the title of liberty, he referenced Joseph's garment and said, Speaking of Joseph, whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces. So the Book of Mormon helps us understand that the brothers ripped up the coat. And the Bible helps us understand that it was dipped in blood. Both of the accounts together help us fully understand Jacob's words in verse 33. That's true because in, even in the movie, the, the Joseph movie, it shows the coat completely whole, intact, and it just has a bunch of blood on it. Of course, if an animal is going to rip somebody to pieces, it would not be like, hey, let me give you a chance to take off your coat and put it to the side <laughs> or uh, before I eat you or... Like as if Joseph would be like, well, hold on a second. I'm going to, I need to fight you, but let me take my coat off because it's very important to me. <laughs> so it wasn't like a planned thing if there's an animal going to devour you. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad that we get like extra accounts in the Book of Mormon that kind of help us with this. Jacob's mourning. Oh, excuse me. 
which is interesting because I actually am currently reading the Book of Mormon and I didn't even notice that that's what it said in there because I just barely passed um, Alma chapter, like I'm, I'm in Alma chapter 50 something. And so, yeah, it's crazy that I didn't even notice that. And so it's so important and so helpful to read these extra commentaries and extra things that people have found because it helps kind of put things together and, and you can see things better when you have other people um, that are helping, you know, and that are also super interested in the stories and curious about, you know, what happened and things like that. So it's pretty cool to see like everybody come together to help you learn. Um, okay. So, and then it says Jacob's morning was great and he re refused to be comforted. Jacob's sadness will end up impacting these brothers for we will see in Genesis 44 30 to 34 that Reuben will offer up his own freedom in order to spare their father from another loss but for now the brothers can do nothing to comfort their father for they had sold Joseph he was long gone to Egypt sold to Potiphar the captain of the Pharaoh's guard okay now we're on Genesis chapter 38 and Flora is still not sleeping but she is up and at him just like but she was too sad to be with me so, and to be walking around. So she's going to get to stay in her crib for a little bit longer. I don't know if you can hear her. Okay, <laughs> um, chapter 38. Judah, was, Judah has three sons by a Canaanite woman. Ur and Onan are slain by the Lord. Tamar, disguised as a harlot, bears twins by Judah. Okay, this is the crazy story. Um, and in fact... Because I was able to explain it to Finn and Faust, I was actually able to explain it to um, my brother yesterday when we went to hang out. And it was interesting because he never heard this story, nor have I. Honestly, I watched that mo movie, the, the Joseph movie, and it was in there. But I totally didn't understand that story until now. So we'll see what it says here. Okay. Um, one, and it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her and she conceived and bare a son. And he called his name Ur and she conceived again and bare a son. And she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Shezib when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. Oh, that's why he died. <laughs> I, when I was explaining it to my brother, we were like, I don't know why he died. Well he was wicked. <laughs> and then number eight, and Judah said unto Ona, go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. And Ona knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Oh, man. Like, 
he still would have been your kid. I don't even understand the whole, like, this is your brother's kid. Like, it would, it's still, like, in your family. Anyway. Okay, so we have some commentary. So I'm going to leave off on verse 11. It says, this chapter inserts a story of Judah, and then the next chapter will continue the story of what happened to Joseph after he was taken to Egypt. So this may seem a strange story, but it is good example of what for the strength of youth pamphlet teaches when it says everyone needs good and true friends. They will be a great strength and a blessing to you. They will influence you, influence how you think and act and even help determine the person you will become. They will help you be a better person and will make it easier for you to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Judah has made a friend named Hira and he was a Adolamite meaning that he was from Adulam, and Adulam, or Adulam, Adulam, was an ancient town that was built upon a hilltop now located where Israel and West Bank meet, about 15 miles west from Hebron, where Jacob and his family dwelt. Judah would have known the stories of his ancestors and how important it was for them to marry in the covenant. However, Judah makes this friend, and it will be because of this friendship that Judah will meet a Canaanite woman whom he will marry. Judah and his wife then add, had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And then the eldest son, Ur, takes a wife named Tamar. Okay, and Ur died due to wickedness that he that is not explained. Then Onan took Tamar as a wife. The practice at this time was that if a brother died, the living brother would take the widow as his own wife and raise children they had together as his brother's posterity. It was a great act of honor to his brother. However, Judah's sons were wicked and Onan was selfish. He made it so that Tamar could not conceive. God saw this as great wickedness and he slew Onan too. This left Tamar as a twice married widow and still without a child. So the same practice that caused Onan to take Tamar as wife would also require the youngest son, Shelah, to take her as wife. But, okay, we'll see here. Verse 11, then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brother, brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Okay, so then, then it says, and in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto, oh, okay. So, so Tamar was dwelt, was with her family because she went to her back to her father's house. But then during this time, it looked like um, Judah's wife had died also. And then... I guess because of this custom that they had and tradition and covenant that they made, basically like in their family, if you get married to somebody in their family, you, um, you know, you're promised that you're going to have kids and things like that. And, and they made promises like if, if my son dies and you get the second son and the second son dies, you get, you know, until you can have kids of your own through this family. And so that was just like their custom. That was what their 
that what they knew and that's what was promised to Tamar um, when she originally married. And apparently she really liked the family, you know, and was really hoping to um, have kids with this family. But it was obviously easy for Tamar to just be like, never mind, you guys are lame and I'm going to leave, right? But she made a covenant and she was trying to fulfill her side of the covenant. And so she had to take matters into her own hands. And so, um, verse 12. Oh, hold on. Let me see if I can read this piece here. So the same practice that caused, okay. Um, so because, let's see, but Shelah was too young. So Judah told Tamar to dwell in his house until Shelah was of age. However, Judah did not fulfill this, uh, promise. And this is verse 14. We're going to get there soon. Um, so in verse 12, and in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. Okay, so, oh yeah, I just, um, and Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shearers to Timnath, he and his friend Hira the Adolamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnah, Timnath, for she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. Okay, so now she was, you know, she saw that Shelah was grown up and nobody, and he didn't keep her promise. When Judah saw her, he thought, her to be in harlot because she had covered her face. Okay, so what was Tamar to do? And it says, was she to remain a childless widow forever? It was at this point that Tamar came up with her own plan. Judah's wife had died, and this plan will force Judah to care for Tamar. So Tamar dressed herself like a prostitute, veiled herself, and positioned herself along a road where Judah would find her. Judah thought she was a harlot and had no payment for her. Okay, so here we go. Oh, and yesterday I, I should probably correct because I didn't realize that Judah's wife had, had died. Um, so, okay. Anyways, this is when I was telling the story. Okay, so when Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot. Verse 16, and he turned unto her by the way and said, go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, what pledge shall I give thee? And she said, thy signet and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it to her. And came in unto her, and she conceived by him. And she arose and went away, and laid by her veil from and laid by her veil from her, and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adolamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he found her not. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is this harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, let her, 
let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. And it came to... Okay, so that's verse 23. So I did like how uh, the Don't Miss This people um, said that she was in an open place. Usually harlots are found in secret places. But she was not um, doing anything against the covenant that she had made. And so she was fine being out in the open. And I like that um, imagery of the fact that she knew she was not doing anything wrong. And then um, also when they, when the friend went back to check and they, he asked around, they were like, there was no harlot here because she wasn't a harlot. She was a widow in mourning, but then also she was, that was the family she was covenanted to. And so, um, anyway, like, I just, I feel like when they explained it in the don't miss this, it made a lot of sense to me that she was just trying to fulfill her covenant, but also be able to have a kid through that same family that she was promised to because, um, because she would have remained a widow and had no kids, right? But she was getting old and stuff. Um, and so let's see. So Tamar dressed herself as a prostitute. Okay. And Judah thought she was a harlot and had no payment for her. So Tamar asked him to leave some of his belongings as a promise that he would return with payment. These belongings, especially his signet, would be easily identified as belonging to Judah. A signet ring was often worn on a cord around the neck or on the ring. The signet ring had a carved seal upon it that would have been a design personal to Judah and used like a signature as it was pressed into hot wax. The word signet has, has the same root as the word sign. So being in possession of Judah's signet ring was a very personal item. Tamar then conceived, and Judah sent his friend um, Hira to pay the woman and retrieve Judah's items. So uh, Hira arrived with the payment, which was a goat, and the woman was not there. So, of course, there was no woman there because she wasn't an actual harlot. Um, okay, so then we're on verse 25... Uh, or 24. And it came to pass about three months after that, it was told Judah saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot. And also behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burned. So of course they think that she got pregnant from somebody else, but that's not the case. And they'll soon find out when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law saying by the man whose these are am i with child and she said discern i pray thee whose are these the signet and bracelets and staff and judah acknowledged them and said she hath been more righteous than i because that i gave her not to shella my son and he knew her again no more so basically he basically was was 
recognized or he recognized that she was not the one in the wrong but that he was in the wrong and he was the one withholding those covenant blessings from her and so she took matters into her own hands like if you're not going to give me my blessings I'm going to go get them and I mean there's certain things that you want to do um like to claim your blessings and then there's certain things you don't want to do so obviously we would never recommend this in 2022 that would be kind of crazy nor is that um, practice or covenant made these days but that's what they had um, at that time and so that was why they that's why um that's why she that's why tamar did that um so she just basically took her matters matters into her own hands and she was able to get twins and it says that it came to pass in the time of her travail that behold twins were in her womb okay so um just really quick oh hold on actually i'll read this okay and it came to pass when she travailed that she that the one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound up upon his hand a scarlet thread saying this came out first and it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold his brother came out and she said how hast thou broken forth this breach be upon thee therefore his name was called pharez and afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand and his name was called zara okay so as hira searched for the woman he learned that there was no harlot in this place. So Hira then returned to Judah and reported that he could not find the woman to which Judah told Hira to let the woman keep these items, lest we be shamed. So if they kept searching for the woman, then Judah's actions would be exposed and he would be shamed. He was more concerned with the shame than the sin. Three months later, though, Judah learned that Tamar was with child, of course, because you can only hide it for so long still ignorant of his own involvement he explained that she must die as an adulteress wow for she was technically engaged to Sela, of course but not really because he was not given her given Sela to him shella i mean judah would not have known this at the time but if he would have followed through with this punishment the future nation that was in her womb would not have lived. A nation which would be called after Judah himself, the nation of the Jews. The name Jew means from the kingdom of Judah. Tamar then revealed that Judah was the father by displaying the signet, bracelets, and staff. Judah then acknowledged his involvement and in admitting that his sin was greater than hers, for he had left her without a husband. Tamar then gave, and you know what I really like about this? I love that they cared about the wives and being able and the women to be able to bear children um and so it wasn't all about just giving wives to men but it was about giving women an opportunity to fill the measure of their creation and have the opportunity to have children um with their husbands and if and that if they couldn't and then they died that they had a backup plan and even a backup plan after that. And so, you know, in these days, we don't have that kind of, uh, I mean, it, I feel like that's, that's very respectful of women and the roles that we have. Um, and so I feel like that's a great covenant and, and it just kind of goes to show you that they cared about their, their women, um, and their wives back then, that that's the kind of covenants that they would make with them to, 
promise them that they would have kids. Like, I promise, you know, that you will have children in our family no matter what, right? And so I think I think that's really cool. Um, of course, <laughs> the way she went about it would not be the way I would go about it, but okay. Um, Tamar then gave birth to twin boys, Zara and Ferez. It is through the posterity of Ferez that King David will be born, which will be the royal Davidic line. Therefore, this is the line that Jesus will be born into. This line will be filled with both sin and righteousness, greatness and wickedness, pride and humility. Christ will be born into a family that had a sinful beginning, but he will not sin. He was not born into a perfect family without blemish. He was born into a messy family with a hard story, and he overcame the world. As Paul put in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, I like that. So, so perfect. And that was what I was trying to explain to Abraham too. Like, it's a beautiful story of how the Savior can come through such a messed up family, but through the worst mistakes, through the worst situations that we can have miracles um, happen in our lives despite those um, hard trials in our lives. Um, The phrase beauty for ashes, you know, so the Lord will consecrate our afflictions for our gain, all those things. So, okay, now we're reading number uh, Genesis 39 says, Joseph prospered by the Lord Becomes ruler of Potiphar's house. He resists the advances of Potiphar's wife, is falsely accused, and is cast into prison. The keeper of the prison commits the prison affairs, prison's affairs into Joseph's hands. So, I just realized, Finn doesn't like when I read the summaries because they're spoilers. And I think they're spoilers too, but I feel like it helps me understand like what's kind of going to happen in a minute. So that if I'm like a little bit confused, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what was happening. But maybe I should stop reading those because it's spoiling stuff i don't i mean these scriptures have been available to us for so long i'm not spoiling anything that you could have read previous to this list previous to hearing me talk about it but anyways okay verse one and joseph was brought down to egypt and potiphar an officer of pharaoh captain of the guard an egyptian brought him of the hands of the ishmaelites which had brought him down thither verse two and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was prosper- he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all the, that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in, all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. (laughs) So got some commentary here. Also, this is the awkward part 
in the Joseph movie, I was like, oh no, she was seducing him pretty heavy. So I was like trying to fast forward. <laughs> and it was kind of funny. Also, Flora is finally starting to fall asleep. So I'm going to move my reading to the bedroom. Okay, here we go. So it says, here we are back to the story of Joseph. He had been purchased by Potiphar. So Joseph was noticed by someone with great power and influence. Elder Elton Perry said, though a stranger, a slave, his countenance must have radiated a special spirit. When offered for sale, he was purchased by a captain of the king's guard. Yeah, that's sweet. And the Lord was with Joseph, it says in verse two, remember? I really like that phrase. Um, I like also the phrase, and the Lord remembered uh, remem remembered Rachel. So the Lord was with Joseph, but he remembered Rachel, remember? And Joseph had received, and that was his mom. And Joseph had received the birthright to oversee the great responsibilities given to Abraham's family, and that birthright followed Joseph to Egypt. The Lord will continue to bless and strengthen Joseph. We will see that Joseph's loyalty was to the Lord, regardless of who was watching. He is a great example of integrity. Far from home in a strange land with a strange language and with strange customs, Joseph will remain true while his brothers were making evil choices, even while surrounded with blessings that God had given their fathers. Joseph was taken from those same blessings and will remain true. Isn't that crazy? Um, Joseph was capable and full of integrity, characteristic that characteristics that Potiphar noticed and valued. Potiphar saw the, that the Lord was with Joseph too. And so he noticed and he made uh, Joseph overseer of everything. And we do not know how much time passed here. How long was Joseph there before he learned the language and was given his responsibility? We don't know. But certainly many stories and examples of Joseph's character are embedded in these few verses. Giving Joseph the title of overseer blessed Potiphar's home, and soon he was growing in wealth and the blessings of the Lord, um, and Potiphar completely trusted Joseph and left everything in his hands. Potiphar's wife then took notice of him, which is very sad. Uh, Joseph, in a dangerous situation where he could be condemned for any choice he made, if he rejects the wife, there could be consequences. If he accepted her invitation, he would betray his master. And most importantly, he would offend God, who had blessed and watched over Joseph. Gordon B. Hinckley taught, for some unknown reason, there are there is constantly appearing the false ra rationalization that at one time in the long ago, virtue was easy and that now it is difficult. I would like to remind you that there has never been a time since the creation when the same forces were not at work which are at work today. The proposal made by Potiphar's wife to Joseph in Egypt is not essentially different from that faced by many a young man and woman in our day. Oh, amen, President Hinckley. You go. Um, October 1964 General Conference. Okay, so go look that up. Um, that is a powerful statement. And it's so true. Like, especially in the Joseph movie. If you watch that, it is some some heavy petting and you're just like and poor joseph is like not knowing what to do because he is caught between like if i don't do something then i'm gonna get condemned but if i do do something that's worse you know and so it's like so i can understand why it was such a hard uh situation for him too you know 
And anyway, um, and he wasn't married yet. So, you know, single dude, probably um, looking for a wife himself at some, some time, who knows, you know, he was, he was 17 when he got sold into slavery. So he, I mean, and it says we don't know how much time passed. So we don't know how how old he was, but he was a lot older than 17. That's for sure. Cause he has learned tact, right? So, because now he doesn't say crazy things to people who might not be on his side. So, Anyway, here we go. So it's so we're on verse eight. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. And wotteth means like um, knoweth. So behold, my master knoweth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I like, um, there's a talk by Hank Smith, and he says that we can say that same thing that Joseph said. Um, And when we are in a situation like that, that we can say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Because it's true. Um, and it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Also, she's like super persistent day by day. How long did that happen? You know, how long did that continue on? That would be so annoying. And it would be so hard because... Um, Egyptian women did not wear uh, modest clothing. At least they don't portray them to wearing modest clothing in the movie. (laughs) And so uh, I bet it was really hard. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men in the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them saying, see, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, uh, did did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the King's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Okay. So there's some commentary here for this one, of course, because it's major. Okay. So how many of Potiphar's wife's commands had Joseph kept up to this point? He could not obey this one 
or but he could not obey this one. His response to Potiphar's wife is inspiring. To the to the wife, Joseph acknowledged how blessed he had been in Potiphar's house, which Joseph knows was not luck, but was because God had watched over him. And then he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? With this statement, Joseph showed that he was determined to do the right thing, but to do it for the right reason. That reason, because he loved the Lord. That's from Elder Hartman Rector, October, or Rector Jr., October 1972 General Conference. Um, would this explanation be enough for her to leave Joseph alone? No. Um, because she continued to speak to him day by day. So this situation was not a one-time situation, but one that did not go away. And day by day, he had to tell her no, right? But what could Joseph do? He could not go to the, uh, to another house. He was a slave. His only option was holding strong to his integrity. One day there was no other men in the house and Potiphar's wife took advantage of this situation and told him or and caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Now things had, es- had escalated and she was not caring about Joseph's desires. And now she had a hold of him. So what did he do? He got him out. <laughs> He could no longer argue with her. He knew leaving was the only option. Getting out with would have included considerable effort as he would need to twist and turn to get out of the clothing she had a hold of. What can these verses teach you? Okay, so we have some commentary from Jeffrey R., from Elder Jeffrey R. Holland and Robert D. Hales. Some awesome apostles. Okay, like Joseph in the presence of Potiphar's wife, just run. Run as far away as you can get from whatever or whoever it is that beguiles you. And please when fleeing the scene of temptation, do not leave a forwarding address. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that talk. That one's from April 2010 General Conference. Then Elder Robert D. Hales says, One of the purposes of the scriptures is to show us how righteous people respond to temptation and evil. In short, they avoid it. That is from October 2015 General Conference. Okay, so then... Um, uh, Potiphar's wife now had Joseph's clothing and she used it to get revenge upon Joseph, right? Because now she was just mad. She called the men of the house and turned the story against Joseph. She accused him of coming into her and she screamed and he ran out. This same story was then told to Potiphar who put Joseph into the jail where the king's prisoners were kept. Many Bible scholars note that this reaction seems far less severe than Potiphar likely had the power to put into force. He was captain of the king's guard and Joseph was a slave. It is possible that Potiphar already knew of his wife's reputation while also being aware of Joseph's character and therefore chose a less severe punishment. It is possible, especially when we read how Joseph was treated in prison. How can Joseph's example help us choose where we go? who we are with and what we will do, and most importantly, why we make these choices. Then what consequences are we willing to bear if we offend another person when we choose righteousness? Okay, and then um, another quote by President Ezra Taft Benson says, when Joseph was in Egypt, what came first in his life, God, his job, or Potiphar's wife? When she tried to seduce him, he responded by saying, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph was put in prison because he put God first. If we're faced with a similar choice, 
where we where would we place our first loyalty? Can we put God ahead of security, peace, passions, wealth, and the honors of men? When Joseph was forced to choose, he was more anxious to please God than to please his employer's wife. When we are required to choose, are we more anxious to please God than our boss, our teacher, our neighbor, or our date? President Ezra Chap Benson, April 1988 General Conference. Ooh, we need that one. Don't seek to please your date. Okay, also Flora's still awake. Come on. This girl, she is so stubborn. She's fighting that sleep so hard. I don't even know why. Sleep is so nice. I'll trade you. You stay awake and I'll go to sleep in your crib. <laughs> sure, I might get all kinds of cricks in my neck and my knees and all that stuff, but at least I'll be able to take a nappies. Okay, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and shewed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did, they did there, he was the the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Oh, I love it. And But the Lord was with Joseph, right? Other people even noticed. And I think that's awesome. Okay, so there's some commentary on that. It says, in Egypt, Joseph was unjustly sent to prison, but even there he excelled and the Lord blessed him. It in time, he came forth to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and he was made ruler of all Egypt. In that powerful position, he became an instrument to save his people from famine and to love and forgive the brothers who had wronged him. As a young boy, I was thrilled with Joseph's adventures and impressed with how the Lord had rescued him from the perils of murder, slavery, and prison. The first time I read the Book of Mormon, I found this statement that Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, was per preserved by the hand of the Lord. In later readings in the scriptures, I found that, and that was in 1 Nephi 5, 14. In later readings, I, in the scriptures, I found that this kind of protection is available to all. For example, the Bible states that the Lord preserves the faithful, Psalms 31, 23, and that God is the shield unto them that put their trust in him, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Elder Dallin H. Oaks, October 1992 General Conference. So awesome. Okay, so here we go. Joseph interprets uh, chapter Genesis chapter forty. Joseph interprets the dreams of Pharaoh, Chief Butler, and Chief Baker. The Butler fails to tell Pharaoh about Joseph, and it came to pass after these things that the Butler, the king of Egypt, or that the Butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers, and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison and the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season inward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them and behold, they were very sad. Or I said very, but they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord and whoops, in the ward of his Lord's house saying, Wherefore, look ye so sad today. And they said unto him, We have dreamed dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, 
Do not the interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it was a and it was as though it bubbled, and her blossoms shoot forth shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days, Pharaoh, three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hands after the former manner when thou wast his his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee and shew kindness, I pray thee, unto me and make me... Er, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. 15. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the, into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I, ha- I had three white baskets on my head okay we're 17 man so i had to get flora because she did not want to go back she didn't want to stay in bed so here we are verse 17 and the uppermost basket there was of of all manner of bath of baked meats for pharaoh and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head and joseph answered and said this is the interpretation thereof the three baskets are three days Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the bird shall eat thy flesh from thee from off thee. Woo! That is harsh. Like, you did not want to know that dream, you know? So, um, we have commentary. So Joseph is a prisoner himself, was also overseeing the prisoners when the Pharaoh's butler and baker were put into his into the prison. The ancient Jewish scholar Josephus called the butler the king's cupbearer, which goes along with the Hebrew interpretation of butler, which is one who drink, gives to drink. Both the butler and the baker had dreams that must have been different from a typical dream and had left deep impressions upon them. They were both in vulnerable positions, having offended the king of Egypt, Pharaoh himself. So in this delicate position, they, these dreams really bothered them. When Joseph came into unto them, likely to fulfill a responsibility he had over them, he noticed they were sad. Joseph's care and disposition were displayed as he inquired um, how many prison guards made it a habit to care about the prisoners' emotions. Probably nobody. The butler and baker then shared their dreams with Joseph, and Joseph, who had the spiritual gift of inter- to interpret dreams, was able to help. Now, What's what's really cute about this is we just watched the movie Encanto like I don't know sometime this year and we've now watched it a bazillion times because Flora's totally loves it and it's her favorite movie. But um, one of the brothers, spoiler for Encanto, one of the brothers has the gift to uh, to see into the future, kind of like Joseph's gifts, kind of like Joseph's gifts. So sometimes. 
he sees good things and sometimes he sees bad things. And so, of course, the butler got a good dream, but the baker didn't really get a good dream. And so he has to tell. <laughs> so so Joseph has to tell the 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 baker the not good dream, which must have been hard, you know, and we were talking about this um and it's like we don't talk about bruno no no because sometimes he gives us bad news right and so that is part of the song and uh, and bruno's the name of the of the brother who can interpret dreams or can he's a he's the brother that's the seer anyway so um so we'll continue so joseph then went to interpret their dreams which he gives the lord credit for he used this moment to teach others about god he was fulfilling the abrahamic covenant to which he was an heir to everywhere he went no matter the difficult circumstance he was in he was pointing others to god it is interesting to know that the name joseph means he will add or to increase in hebrew that is the perfect name for one who got gathered others to God. Joseph then demonstrated the gift of the spirit that he had, which was to interpret dreams. The interpretation was good news for the chief butler and bad news for the chief baker. But let's remember that those guys were thrown into prison because they made a bad choice and or maybe made a bad choice. Uh, but Pharaoh thought that they were not being honest or did something to displease Pharaoh or something, you know. So it's not like it was Joseph's fault that anything were to happen to these guys. It was their own consequence that they received from their actions. So just remember, be true to who you are and hopefully when the time comes to be judged you will be found not guilty right <laughs> okay so um even though you could go to prison for being not guilty you won't go you won't die right so anyways okay so verse 20 and it came to pass that the third the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. So, of course, he didn't tell the Pharaoh anything yet because he hadn't really he totally forgot and didn't say like hey thanks you know actually also just to let you know somebody helped interpret this and i knew that you were gonna restore me um so anyway also there's like a little mess of like mess of my stuff in the corner and flora is fully entertained with that mess so we'll continue okay so we're on verse uh let's see um, so Genesis 41. Okay. How did, let's see. Oh, we're so glad that we're in Genesis chapter 41 because then we will be done with this old stuff from last week. Um, although this is like, these are my favorite stories. The Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph stories are all my favorite. And they do have movies about these, but I guess not all of them have the movies available. Anyways, Flora is walking around now with my sunglasses and loves them. Huh. Okay. Chapter 41. Pharaoh's dreams 
of cattle and the ears of grain, Joseph interprets the dreams of seven years of plenty and seven of famine. He proposes a grain storage program. Good job, food storage. Pharaoh makes him ruler of all Egypt. Joseph marries Asenath. He gathers grain as the sand upon the seashore. Asenath bears Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph sells grain to Egyptians and others during the famine. Okay, and it came to pass that the end of the two years, the and it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came upon out of the river seven well-favored kind and fat, fat-fleshed, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the drink of the river, brink of the river, and the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind. Hi! did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and, the, and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven years of corn came, upon, came up upon one stock, rank, and good. And behold, seven with thin ears blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass at the, in the morning that his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Okay, the moment has come. Um, so yeah, Pharaoh's dream, nobody can interpret it, which was obviously on purpose. Okay, so Joseph was in prison for, this is what it says in the Institute Manual. For two years after he interpreted the dreams of Chief Butler and Baker, he was sold into slavery. Then he was about 17, when he was about 17, he was 30 years of age when he became vice regent to the Pharaoh. Altogether, he served 13 years with Potiphar and in prison. The record does not tell how long he served Potiphar before his imprisonment. But that he worked his way up to the to be overseer of the prison implies some period of time before the butler and baker joined him. So it is likely that Joseph was in prison at least 13 years and possibly much longer. Woo. So that's a long time. Okay, so pondering what this meant, might have been like for Joseph can help us learn even more about his character. His commitment to the Lord was unwavering, no matter the unfairness, no matter the consequence consequences no matter the length of time then pharaoh had a dream and jewish scholar josephus said god freed joseph from his confinement god contrived this method of deliverance for him um and then also can i just say that the slamming that you're hearing is flora's hand upon the 30-day yearly tracker that i have on my on the wall and it's she pulled half of it down so now there's only like half of it still up but um, when she hits it, there's like that paper sound that slams against the wall. And it's awesome because I was rewinding to kind of get rid of the sound so that, you know, I could make this shorter. But then it turns out <laughs> that as I was rewinding and doing it, she looked at me and she smiled and then she went over back to the paper and she slammed her hand again on it. And then I rewound it again and... She did it again, and like she heard it, and then she did it again on the wall. I was like, that was, that's awesome. So I'm going to leave it um, because it's fun to see or hear little floras um, throughout our uh, recording. But you can know that I rewound it a couple times to try and 
um, delete it, but she wanted to keep keep going and slamming her hand on the paper on the wall because that sounded fun. And then she started dancing, by the way, when I played it, too. She would be, like, moving. Okay. Um, anyway, so the pharaoh had two dreams, and like the butler and the baker, and the dreams pressed upon his mind. In the first dream, there were seven healthy cows that came up out of the river, probably the Nile, and they were freed or, and they were feeding in the meadow. Then seven unhealthy, unhealthy cows came out of the river and ate up the seven healthy cows. At this point, the pharaoh awoke. awoke. Then the pharaoh slept again and had another similar dream. This time, there were seven good ears of corn. Some suggest it should read wheat growing upon one stalk which would have highlighted the fruitfulness of that stock and of Egypt's ability to produce food for Egypt was green and fertile. But then seven thin ears of corn that were blasted with the east wind sprung up after them and they devoured the seven good ears of corn. This dream deeply troubled Pharaoh who sat upon the throne and all of Egypt looked to him. What could this mean? So he called all the magicians and wise men and Pharaoh told them, um, of his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. These wise men were trained and would have been given titles and honors, but none of them could interpret this dream. But there was a Hebrew boy sitting in the king's prison who could, right? We all know this. Um, I do like in the movie that um, they show certain things that people have done in um, other cultures and things to try and interpret dreams or see into the future, like palm reading and things like that. And they kind of brought that into this, this movie. And it was, um, kind of interesting to see that, you know, some people had like these bones and they threw them to see if they could see something and they mixed some ingredients and we're trying, Oh, excuse me. We're trying all kinds of things to see if they could um, see into the Pharaoh's dream. And I like that they did that because it goes to show you, like, it doesn't matter what you thought you, you know, like, yes, there are certain people that have gifts and that the Lord has given gifts to and seership is one of them, but it is not a gift that you... (laughs) can invent like you can't just make stuff up and you can't read tarot cards to see your future and you can't do you know you can't predict through throwing bones on the ground and through all these weird things and although some of these rituals are also um uh rituals that have been known to be like uh quote unquote satanic um where the adversary could definitely um I guess I could say help in, you know, these wicked practices. It it was, I think it's more of priestcrafts than of being able to see into the future and using God's gifts for good. So, um, so anyway, so of course, Joseph is still in prison. So here we go. And then number nine, um, oh, sorry. So we just need to remember where we are going for our inspiration and where we are going for um, to be in tune with with Jesus Christ and how we're connecting with him because uh, throwing some bones on the ground is not going to connect us with Christ. And throwing some dice or looking into some kind of cup with random liquid that 
has been invented is not going to help you. Doing Ouija boards and things like that is not going to be bringing you the spirit of the Lord into your home or your heart. It's all the stuff or, you know, like those, I know some people have like the skeleton heads and things like that. And when, when dad and I went to New Orleans one time, we walked through this, um, town. I can't remember, but it was so wicked. Like there was so many stores that like, we were like, Oh fun, like a souvenir shop. And we went in there and we were like, this is not a souvenir shop. And I think this is priestcrafts and it kind of reminded me of those things in that Joseph movie where they were trying to like do some of those things uh some of those rituals that would summon not the spirit of the Lord but the adversary and he's not gonna help us okay so he will just trick us okay so number nine um then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh saying I do remember my faults this day Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night. I and he were dreaming. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream. He did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us. So it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. So when you go to Pharaoh, you cannot show up all messy. You got to be clean, ready to go. So, um, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I, okay, so hold on. We're in verse 15. Also, Flora is now finding the gold coins that we that dad bought for his activity <laughs> coming up and she's just loving all the things she's finding can you hear her <gasps> just having so much fun over there okay so it says that then the butler remembered joseph and joseph will now be pulled out of prison and be prepared to be brought before pharaoh one day he was in prison, and then suddenly he was brought hastily out of the dungeon and being shaved and dressed so he could be brought before him. Egyptians were clean and shaven. And then, just like that, Joseph was walking the corridors of Pharaoh's palace. Imagine that moment in his life. What prayers he must have prayed at this moment. But God had prepared him. He had already had his own dreams and interpreted others' dreams. He had already served the Pharaoh's officers and had become familiar with Egyptian customs, and he had remained true to God. He was ready. Oh, I love that. Okay. So let's see. 15. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph in my dream, Behold, I stood upon the bank of the river, and behold, there came upon out of the river seven kind, fat flesh, and well favored, and they, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill favored, and lean fleshed, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and the ill favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind. And when they had eaten them up, it could not be known that they had eaten them, but they were still ill favored 
as at the beginning, so I awoke. And I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears came up in one stock, full and good. And behold, seven ears, withered, thin, and blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears. And I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. Oh, boy, we had so many things, huh, Flora? Oh, boy, she's just going to town. Luckily, she doesn't know how to open stuff. Hopefully, hopefully she doesn't. Okay, so imagine the scene. Joseph was now standing before Pharaoh. Pharaohs were political and religious rulers, and they were even seen as a god upon the earth there to lead the Egyptians. And now Joseph, a non-Egyptian, was standing before him. Anything could happen, and Joseph knew it. He had been spending years in the Pharaoh's prison, seeing at least one person, possibly many more, lose their life because they had angered the king. This moment would test the strongest and bravest. So Pharaoh immediately explained that he had heard that Joseph could interpret dreams and Joseph's answer was bold, clear, and humble. He does not just say, yes, Pharaoh, but Joseph declares that he cannot interpret dreams. It is God who has the ability to reveal such answers. Joseph is standing before the great Pharaoh and is immediately teaching him about the true and living God. What a moment this would have been to witness. He wasn't afraid to testify of truth to his brothers. Then again, he taught of God to Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Then again to the prisoners and now to the great Pharaoh himself. He proved that no circumstance would cause him to shrink. He stood as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places that they may be in even until death. Remember Mosiah chapter 18 verse 9. Pharaoh then recited the dreams to Joseph and added a few details not reported at the beginning of the chapter. Um, And then he also added that once he, the ill-looking cows ate the healthy cows, you could not tell that they had eaten them, but they were still ill-favored as at the beginning. So Joseph understood the dream because he had that spiritual gift. And this is an example of how one person's spiritual gift can bless many people, right? I believe that be a gift. Remember we got, we were, we just heard a talk in sacrament meeting on Sunday that was a brother from the stake. Um, and he said that one of the things that helps connects us to people, he listed three things. Um, one thing is share your unspeakables. Second is to be a gift to others. So use your gift to be a gift. And the third was, what was the third one, Miss? Oh boy. She just opened up all the coins. I'm just going to let her play. (laughs) Um, I can't remember what the third one was. What was the third one? Oh, and uh, basically don't talk about yourself the whole time. So um, anyway, so this is what Joseph is doing. He's using his gift to help somebody else. And that is going to help him and connect him. So... Um, so then Joseph then explained that each dream is one that God has showed Pharaoh what is about what he is about to do. Joseph had seen this before. He had seen God guide others through dreams that were then fulfilled. Joseph, Joseph explained that the seven good cows represent, oh, hold on. I didn't want to get there yet. We haven't gotten there yet. So, okay. So verse 25, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. 
And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. Oh, how come it says? Okay. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showed unto Pharaoh. Behold, there, some, there, come, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh. Twice it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And then let, him, let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the, land, under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt. That the land... Oh! No, you may not. Okay, she was putting coins down the... <laughs> AC vent or heater vent. So yeah, I had to stop her from doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's so cute though. Then I started picking stuff up and she started passing things to me and helping me. So she's she knew. Okay. Uh, now I don't even know where we were because my scriptures just shifted. Okay. Okay. Um. So let so verse. So we're verse 36. And the food shall be for store in the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. Okay, so we're at 36. Okay, so Joseph explained that the seven good cows represented seven years, and so do the seven ears of corn. Likewise, the seven ill cows and the seven thin ears of corn were also another seven years and represented seven years of famine, which is a really long time for a famine and devastatingly long, a devastatingly long time. There will be seven years of plenty, where the crops will produce well, and then after that, there will be a famine. The famine will be so severe that those seven years of plenty will be forgotten. This will be a very grievous time, uh, uh, famine, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Joseph then immediately gave Pharaoh counsel, which would also have been very bold of Joseph. Pharaoh needed to find a man who was discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. That man and other officers were to take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. So that would be 20% of the crops. They should, so this is now a lot of stuff, right? They should gather food in the cities that food should be for store in the land against the seven years of famine. So they are to put that food into storehouses. Then when the famine comes, Egypt will have the food it needs. So that's pretty crazy, right? Okay, so then 37, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such an one as this is a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house and according 
unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in the vestitures and or just kidding, in vestures of fine linen and put gold a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they carried or, and they cried before him, Bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Pot- Potipharah, priest of, priest of On. And Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Um, okay, so let's see. We're going to pause right there for a moment. All right, so then it looked like the Pharaoh was pleased with both Joseph's interpretation of the dream and his suggestion on how to handle this coming crisis. And Pharaoh immediately accepted Joseph's solution. He recognized that Joseph, a Hebrew, was the right man for the job. Why? Because he saw that no one in all of Egypt was as wise as Joseph. And remember that Joseph was a prisoner. And now suddenly he was being made a ruler such with such authority that only the Pharaoh himself was greater than Joseph. But why would Pharaoh do this? Notice what Pharaoh said in verse 38. Notice what he recognized in Joseph while Pharaoh was speaking with the servant, his servants. He said, can we find such, an, such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? Elder Elton Perry gave, this entire, gave an entire talk based on this phrase. The talk is called Becoming Men in Whom the Spirit of God Is. Ooh, we're going to have to have, listen to that one. Um, in that talk, he shared this story and equated it to verse 38. Okay, so let's read it. My father had a unique experience when he was in the age of a priest. There were no high schools where he lived and he wanted an education. He received permission from his father to leave the farm and seek his education elsewhere, but he had to make it on his own. Arriving in Salt Lake City, he heard of an employment position being offered in the home of President Joseph F. Smith. He was hired to care for the prophet's two cows. Sister Smith instructed my father in his duties, explaining that the cows were aristocrats and you must treat them well. You are to keep them so clean and train them so well that if I should ever at any time conclude to move them into the, to the parlor, they would be clean enough to enter. Before milking each morning and night, they were thoroughly washed and dried with hot water, soap, and towels prepared for, the, for that purpose. They were fed the best of hay and milked at exactly the same hour twice a day. The Smith family took this poor farm boy into from Idaho into their home while he finished high school and attended the University of Utah. They included him in their family activities around the dinner table and at family prayer. My father shared with us his witness that the prophet Joseph Fielding Smith, Joseph F. Smith was truly a man of God. When I kneeled with the prophet in family prayer and listened to his earnest supplications for the blessings or earnest supplications for the blessings of the Lord upon his family and their flocks and their herds, I realized that those same humiliating cows were the subject of his blessings. My feet were brought solidly to earth. Most great men have known, I have known, have been deflated by intimate contact. Not so with the prophet Joseph F. Smith. Every common 
everyday act added inches to his greatness. To me, he was the prophet, even while washing his hands or untying his shoes. My father's description of the prophet Joseph F. Smith reminds me of this: the Pharaoh's statement about Joseph of Egypt. Can we find such an one as this? Is the man in whom the Spirit of God is? April 2002 General Conference from Elder L. Tom Perry. What happened, me? <laughs> oh, hi, you. She's playing with the shoe, giving him socks. But I, d- I don't think that he's supposed to eat socks, Flora. He's just supposed to snuggle them. Okay, so... Here we go. Then we're close. We're close. Okay, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Hi. Hi, miss. You want me to carry you? <laughs> She's like trying to She's trying to put her legs on top of me. Hey, May. Okay, sure. And Joseph was okay, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Okay. And in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And seven years of plenteous that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come, according to Joseph, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt... There was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith you do. What he saith to you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. Okay, something else that I forgot to mention was Asenath. Okay, I don't know how to explain who she was, um, but she was the daughter of a priest. Um, and she was like supposedly like super righteous and like, uh, like, the in you know i guess part of the covenant also or part of the the line of like their family line of like i i don't i don't know how to explain it but but she was very special um and and so it was just perfect that she was so special and she was uh, and that her and Joseph were able to get married because she was such a special gal, um, a woman. And I guess 
I don't understand. Um, but I'm, I want to say it has something to do with the fact that, um, it's probably through, um, through Noah's line. Remember, we know that one of Noah's, um, descendants is a daughter of, of Ham and her name was Egyptus and her daughter Egyptus was one who founded Egypt um, or discovered Egypt underwater anyway. And so, uh, and something along the lines of uh, Ham's descendants. Now, I don't know because I'm not a scholar. So you will definitely want to look that up. But I thought it was really kind of cool and interesting. Um, you can also listen to the Talking Scriptures podcast on about Asenath because they uh, talk about um, they talk about who she is. And anyway, it made it seem like she was really special, very like unto Eve kind of special. And so um, certain things linking uh, symbolically back to Eve and. So anyway, I thought that was really cool. Um, okay, so we are um, done here. Hold on. I'm going to try and see if there was any important stuff that I wanted to make sure we cover. Oh, there was a quote from Orson Hyde. Okay, it says, Thus, the country to which the chosen of God was banished was enabled to feed the starving millions that fled thither for seven long years. And Joseph was prime minister to the crown and general superintendent of all the affairs of Egypt. He controlled all the food that had been laid up in store. The famine waxed strong in the lands from which he was expelled, and they had nothing laid up in store, for they had no Joseph to warn them of the approaching distress. They had driven him away, and God greatly blessed the land which he fled, to which he fled. Now, something that is interesting also is I have tried to look up like information about Joseph um, on the like Egypt, I mean, I mean, like super, like, I would just say it's very superficial searching. I'm not, again, remember mom does not go to school for this. Um, and so I've tried to look up some things about Egypt and the famine and Joseph. And apparently, um, people have done a really good job in hiding even the mention of Joseph and who he was from all Egyptian records. And so I think it's because he was a Hebrew and not, uh, and he was a slave and not part of Egypt and, or not like direct descendant from Egyptians per se. And so they try to dismiss that. And also you'll see, like, we'll talk about Moses as well and how they try to get rid of um, the fact that he existed there also as one of the Pharaoh's daughter's kids. Anyway, so it's just interesting to me how certain things, uh, certain people go to certain lengths to try to erase certain things um, from being part of their culture or, or part of their history, uh, just because maybe they don't have the same beliefs. And so anyway, so keep that in mind when you're searching, um, it would be very easy for people of back then to erase, um, 
certain people from existence, you know, because of the fact that they could just, you know, destroy some of the records that they kept and that's it. Um, but nowadays it would be a lot harder to do because we'd have pictures, we'd have documents, we'd have so many things, but it's not like the government still can't do that. So, um, and we see that in movies these days too, that people have been, that that has been done or that people have been erased or, you know, like men in black or something. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there because it is very important to note that the adversary will try to hide certain things um, from the masses. And so sometimes it is our job to go and seek after the light. Remember our 13th article of faith? If anything is praiseworthy or of good report, we seek after those things. So seek after those things to help you with your testimonies. And that is it for today. Okay. Say bye, Flora. Say thanks. Say see you later. Say thanks for showing up. Say I love you. Say I. Yeah. Yeah. Say I love you. No. Say, I love you. She doesn't want to. So, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. I love you. Mm. 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 Okay, here we go.